You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. That's good news. Yeah. So I'm feeling like I didn't just buy a busted radio. Did you deck it out? Did you get a bunch of subwoofers and? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I put them in the, you know, I put some in the in the trunk. And no, what pisses me off these days is that I, I have uh, the Microsoft Sync thing. I have like the touchscreen. Yeah. And the radio broke, so I couldn't just buy a fucking radio. I had, to, I had to buy a radio that you that coordinates with the sink, and you had to tear the whole dashboard out and put the new one in behind everything. It was like it was a it was a process. That's some work. Yeah, which is why it cost six hundred bucks. I was like, God, like six hundred bucks back in the day actually would have gotten me like a subwoofer. <laughs> <in it. laughs> was the wife just like, "Well, Merry Christmas, poser. There's there's your gift." Uh, kind of, yeah, but. <laughs> No, it happened over Thanksgiving, so I was already. We were. With, I drove to the uh, to the ranch without a radio. As a three and a half hour drive with kids, with no radio either way. You couldn't like put the iPod on. No, I mean the iPod didn't connect. Nothing. No noise. Like no speak. No sound would come out of the speakers. Man, you just turned it on and put it in the cup holder. And that. Yeah, like that. Oh god, that's exactly. Oh god, it was a nightmare. Mm. So then it was just like, hey, well now you have a chance to pay attention to me. Like, oh, that's awful. I don't want to pay attention to you. <laughs> <laughs> Are the kids old enough? Do they have like? Well, probably not Travis, but do they, they have, have Christmas lists. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! She just made a Christmas list this year. It was really cute. Um, I'll have to. F- I'll take a picture of it and put it on Twitter sometime if I can find it. It is really. God, it was adorable. She wrote a whole thing out. What I did is I gave her a Toys R Us catalog, and a oh, and a sharp and a sharpie, and she went through the whole catalog and circled stuff. But that was like in November. And so I said, okay, we can make a list off of this. And then she actually wrote like, you know, dear Santa, uh, dear Santa letter mm-hmm. last week. And she even asked for stuff for Travis. It was just adorable. You know, she mentioned that she was a good girl. And <laughs> so that's great. No, it's really, we're, we're almost at peak uh, Christmas ages. Yeah. That's like the really fun time for it. Cause they all believe yeah. and. Oh, it's awesome. Like we're at five and two, so we only have one at peak belief. Like the two year old still doesn't quite know what's going on. Like yeah. he wants to he he's cool with going along with everything and he's having a blast. And they did the Polar Express last weekend. They got to ride the train and go to the North Pole and meet Santa. So but awesome. I think in like I think like in two years they'll be seven and four. I think that'll be the best. Yeah, that'll be really good. Uh, I think that'll be the best Christmas. But this one, we're it, we're kind of in that Bill James, you know, uh, nearing the age twenty-seven season for Christmases. 
Way to take it back to stat nerds. Yeah, see, did you like how I did that? Who I still think are ruining everything. Like it's amazing. Despite being a stat nerd, I can still take a second, look back, and go, "We ruin everything." Just suck the joy out of everything. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. A, I wasn't going to get into your uh, your argument with Jake about Jack Morris. Well, it just you know, look, I don't want Jack Morris in the Hall of Fame either. But once he's in there, don't be an asshole. <laughs> like, and also, it's like he's a human being, and for fifteen years. Every year, instead of like being able to like look back on his career with fondness and think about the things he did, he has to have people sit around and tell him what a piece of shit he is. Like, it really takes a toll on players. If you read like interviews with guys who are like on the cusp of the Hall of Fame, it's awful. Like, you can't avoid what people are saying about you. And people just go so over the top. If you're a cusp Hall of Famer, you're you are a great player, and for everyone just to be like, oh, well, he's a piece of shit, and he you know couldn't do this, and he could do this, and he was bad, and you're an idiot if you vote for him, and I'm you know it lowered the standards of and like just blow out your asshole. It's a human being you're talking about who is also like one of the best people ever at his sport. Yeah, he seemed to me like he's a. I, his numbers are on the cusp, and he has that single great World Series game, which is kind of right an I, iconic I, moment to push you into the hall. Yeah, and I don't see what's wrong because those iconic moments happened. So I think those actually, I do give a lot of bonus points to those kind of things. And if you want to dismiss it as luck, I think you're missing out on the pageantry or just the mystery of sports. If every great moment is just oh well, that was just a statistical variation. I mean. Dude, who took the jam out of your donut? I did see some people take up, like, the moral mantle against Morris. Yeah, and that's bullshit, too, I think. That's, like, trying to... It, he, he he told a crass joke in, like, 1984, and he has done nothing bef- before since the show that he has done, like, been on this campaign about it. I think that's just because you already hated his candidacy, and you're just trying to pile on. It's... And look, and my big thing is this: is like it's when you talk about Hall, and we we did this when we did the LSU list. It shouldn't when you're debating between two players, it shouldn't be what one player is bad at. You should promote one player over another. Yes. If that makes sense, you need to tell me why someone else is greater, not why this guy's. But it, these are all great players we're dealing. If you're on the ballot, you're you're pretty damn good. And if you're getting over five percent of the vote. And so you stick around for a couple. You are a truly great player. And I don't know. It's just the it's the way we talk about it. Just it really kind of pisses me off. Like and I'm even talking about guys. I don't support Jack. I didn't support his candidacy. I didn't want Jack Morris in the Hall of Fame. But I'm also not like a raging asshole. I didn't mean to get you all worked up here. Yeah, no, sorry. Just it's just <laughs> a thing in principle. That's just. You know, I think the, the one for me was like Jim Rice. I was not – I thought Jim Rice didn't really have a whole lot of business being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he has a very, um, very he had a very He had a very weak case. And so I was always against Jim Rice. And also there was a bunch of outfielders on the ballot at the same time who I thought were better. So mainly I p- tried to promote those guys. I was like, you know, you know, why don't we look at – if we're going to take a borderline candidate, why don't we take Andre Dawson? And <laughs> But once he got in – I was like, okay, he got in. 75% of the people really liked him. Like, that was the moment you stopped being a dick about it. Yeah. 
and honestly, you should have stopped beforehand. Like, I, I was never, like, passionate against it. And also, like, Jack Moore's got it by the Veterans Committee. I mean. Yeah, that's like the last straw. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to say that for people who truly care about Hall of Fames, there is a little bit of an asterisk by veterans selections. For sure. Now, I think to 90% of the people, there is none. And I think to Jack Morris, there isn't one. And he doesn't need to act like he, he backdoored his way in. If he's in, he's in. He's a Hall of Famer. But I think for the people, the small percentage of people who truly, truly, truly care, there is a difference between guys who got voted in first ballot, guys who got voted in by just by the writers, and then people who got into the Veterans Committee. There, there's sort of like the three tiers of Hall of Famers. I don't really have that much of a problem with that. And this whole, like, oh, he's going to set a standard for other guys to get in. Blow it out your fucking ass. The Veterans Committee has not elected a living ball player since 2001. And it was Bill Mazeroski. And I have not seen a huge trampling of the doors of Cooperstown by slick fielding second baseman. Unless Willie Randolph's in the Hall of Fame and I missed it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of what got me. It's like... Veterans committees are not used as the standard to put other guys in. They're all special cases, and Jack Morris is a special case. Yeah, I never really got the. Uh, I've just never been one to get that worked up about. I would get more worked up about people that are out that should be in. Yeah, I, that's I, I like do. more insulting. Like I think Dale Murphy is. Yeah, like, that's like, he's screwed. Like that's yeah. It, and honestly, he's getting screwed by steroids because if he had done steroids, A, his numbers would be a little bit better, but B, he wouldn't have declined like he did in the 90s. Right. Because the steroids would have allowed him to stay in the game, put up another, you know, a couple 20 home run seasons. And also, his numbers wouldn't have looked as bad because he fell off a cliff while everyone around him was doping up big time. But if, if you're going to be anti PEDs, Dale Murphy should, should be the guy that you should have been championing. You know, ten years ago. Yeah, it's almost I, su- it's so, almost surprising that some of those hardliners aren't championing him as like, well, this is a baseball yeah. guy. This is this is yeah, a proof he, of what it does he, to you, kind of thing. He he won two MVPs. I mean, everybody loved him. He's I mean, he's a veterans. He's on the veterans ballot now. He's he fought, he has fallen off the the writers ballot. Yeah, but I think that's who Larry Walker is becoming. That's an interesting one too. Like, I think Larry Walker is the – this is a guy who did it, you know, naturally kind of way. He was a hockey player who played foot, you know, who played baseball. And, look, I love Larry Walker more than just about any player ever. So, like, I get that. But I am with you. you, you I, I'd much rather have someone who has a pet candidate. Like, and says, okay, this guy I know isn't exactly – I mean, he's not Babe Ruth, but I still think he should be in the hall because this, this, and this. I, I am much more willing to listen to those kind of arguments. Yeah. And so, yeah, so instead of talking, hey, welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast, where we're going to talk baseball instead of LSU football, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) This is a Sneaky Good Baseball Podcast now. We're just going to talk Hall of Fame for look. 
I, I do care about Hall of Fames. It's like I like the history of sport, but I also care. It's it's how you talk about it is what gets me. And you know, my big beef is when you just you don't appreciate that everyone on the ballot is good and that they're people. I think that's a mistake. And also the whole debate over Jack Morris had nothing to do with Jack Morris at the end of the day. It was how traditionalists and stat heads argued with each other about what is the standard of a Hall of Famer. I think if you did a dedicated podcast to the Hall of Fame, this is a serious thought here. Yeah. Where you basically, I guess you could do an episode devoted to each player, you know, like, yeah, no, and, and their candidacy, their can, I can't say that word, candidacy, oh my candidacy. god, yeah, candidacy, yeah. what the fuck, anyways, I think that would be really fascinating, like, people would probably get into that, like, yeah, like, Jay Jaffe, he writes about this a ton, he has the, uh, uh, Cooperstown case file, I mean, he's very statistically oriented, but he's kind of the gold standard right now, I totally recommend that book, but also he writes for Sports Illustrated, you can't even talk about Hall of Fame without referencing Jay Jaffe first. He started a podcast. He did. I, I think he has. Oh, he has one? Okay. Well, I don't know if he has a podcast, but he definitely has a book, and I recommend reading first. So. I'm really into podcasts right now, so. Uh, yeah. You know, so. No, don't listen to other podcasts. This is the only podcast you should <laughs> listen to. Next week, we're going to talk about the Golden Globe nominations. <laughs> yes, we totally are. Hey, look, there were some snubs there. Um, it is are, movie season. Are, it is. And we are well-rounded folk here at the Sneaky Good. Um, <laughs> I was trying to make least, a joke, but we probably will talk about that. Yeah. Uh, let's at least put a little bit of a button on the season. I think we did that, and we've now – we're moving on to bowl season. We haven't talked about getting the Citrus Bowl and getting Notre Dame. <clears throat> we haven't. So how do you feel? I'm coughing. Yeah. After you finish coughing and dying, how do you feel about LSU? Another New Year's Day bowl. It's not a New York New Year's Six, but still, it's kind of a traditional big bowl. Yeah. You know, I like a week. What are we? A week and a half away from the announcement now. Yeah. I feel like I was going to come to terms with it, but I still don't really. I haven't reconciled my thoughts on it just because. I'm kind of meh just because we just played Notre Dame and we just played in this bowl game. But I also yeah. recognize that it's a good bowl game and Notre Dame is a really good opponent. So it's like, objectively, I'm like, yeah, this is great. But like, I guess emotionally I look at it and I'm like, eh, I don't really care. Yeah, I mean, I would much rather have played Michigan. Yes. I mean, but I say that every year. So it's, you know, one day we'll play Michigan. I know. Keep waiting on that. I'm just waiting on it. So Even I'm, Michigan I'm not... State. Like, it's been a while since we played them. That'd be kind of fun. But uh, uh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame will always matter. It, uh, I'm of the age where I grew up with the Notre Dame mystique. There was still that pull. And even if I don't totally buy into it, I know sports writers do and the media does. So it means that the game will always be a somewhat big game. Yeah. Because we're playing Notre Dame. It made the game matter. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can't ignore the draw that is Notre Dame. I mean, they are the only football team that really gets play on NBC. So that's huge. And they're just a national brand. They're a blue blood. They're iconic. They are, you know, no matter how they've fallen or whatever as a a program, it's still a a program that regularly gets 
thrown about as like one of the best jobs in America. So yeah, and look, this year they played Georgia to a standstill. I mean, it was a home game. Yeah, but Notre Dame always beat Georgia, and Georgia's in the playoffs, so it's and not like they're a, some chump. And they put a beat down on USC, who, in my opinion, probably had the best case for the fourth playoff seed, even though they got absolutely no love at all. Which is really bizarre because it was bad. They're, they're USC, and yeah. I, Let's get into that because, okay, we, we like the bowl, but it's hard to be emotionally attached to it. Okay, yay. USC, what the hell? Like, they're a blue blood. Why didn't they get I know, I any kind of love? I, I really don't understand it because if you want to go with, oh, they got beat down, it's like, well, so did Ohio State, and they were on the fringe of getting in. Also blue blood. They have a star quarterback that, you know, I know he had an up and down season, but he still talked about like a star, going to be a top NFL pick. So it's not like the team lacks star power. They're blue blood. They're West Coast. And they were good. Like, they played a hard schedule. They played it well. I think they played more quality teams than anybody else in the playoff, if I saw that right. Yeah, I think that's right. And and honestly, the other two teams that were competing with each other were severely flawed. Yeah. You know, I mean, Alabama didn't really beat anybody. LSU was their best win. Yep. And... Look, I mean, this is an LSU podcast. We can we can be frank. We we weren't that great this year. I mean, we weren't bad, but I, I think the nine wins were pretty honest. We, yeah, we were but, fortunate to be we were fortunate to be a nine win team. Yeah, I don't think we anyone, at one point. there was no one, no one, you know, none of us. And I don't think anyone nationally looked at LSU and was like, "That's a great team." Like, no, it's a good yeah. team. Yeah. At the end of the year, it was like, "That's a good team." <clears throat> and so, yeah, so. Alabama doesn't really have the skins on the wall to justify the fourth bid. And Ohio State, I, I mean, one talk bad losses, just got destroyed by Iowa. Yeah, and a, um, a marginal Iowa, too. It's not like, oh, this was 13. Like, Iowa a couple of years ago was undefeated, you know, yeah. getting to the Big Ten Championship and everything. Like, it wasn't that Iowa. Yeah, and like I know it was a road game. I know it was a road game, and can, it can be a pl- tough place to play, but they got housed. Yeah, they were really good, and also, and they lost by like twenty to you know uh, Oklahoma. I, I mean, I know Oklahoma is a really good team. We won't count that as a bad loss, but that game wasn't particularly close, and that was a home game. Yeah, and so I'm more willing to overlook USC. Okay, USC had one big loss, but it was to Notre Dame, so I think that's the equivalent to the Oklahoma loss. Yeah, one narrow loss to a good team on the road. I mean, that's. And so, uh, yeah, I think you're right. And also, I think the Pac-12 was better than people gave it credit for this year. Probably so. The problem with the Pac-12 is, A, no one watches it because it's on really late at night uh, or on Fridays. Like, as much as I enjoy the Friday night game, that's that's bad planning, yo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just hard to watch a college football game on a Friday night. Um but also, it's like they had no great teams other than USC. Like, there was a lot of just good teams. So there was sort of like the when you have a whole bunch of seven, eight-win teams, everybody kind of looks down on you, even though that could be a sign of quality. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah, I think they have a lot of depth in the conference. There weren't really – I mean, Oregon State was god-awful. Yeah, uh, Oregon State was just awful. But uh, but it was de- – you know, Most I, of the teams I, I, are pretty – would give you a good fight. I'll put it like this. I gamble quite a little bit, and I stopped gambling on all Pac-12 games. I just put it down and said I refuse to take a Pac-12 game because they're just all so untrustworthy. Because <laughs> every team, could, anybody could beat anybody. Yeah, I agree. It, it was, 
I mean, it maybe, was just the, maybe I'm biased because I'm in I'm a I'm a, uh, a coastal elitist now out here on the West Coast, and so I see a lot more of it. But no, I was I was down here. I really like the Pac-12. I, I I enjoy Pac-12 football in its own right, and the problem is it doesn't have the high end. It doesn't have like you know three or four teams are competing for a bid. It had USC and kind of no one else. Also bizarre was USC was a preseason playoff favorite. So, you know, usually yeah. you see some sort of like residual love out of that. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like we knew they were good all along. They hit that one road bump. But so what? Exactly. It's like, oh, well, you know, they they were just finding themselves or whatever. Or the, the pressure got to them. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it was weird that USC was not a part of that argument. I mean, it's one thing for them to lose the argument, but for there not even to be an argument was just bizarre. I, this is what I think is funny. And so at the, the biggest response I've seen to this playoff is we just need to expand the field. And I was like, it makes me laugh just because I'm like, the problem this year was that there were probably only three teams that had really good cases to be in. And it was like choosing who is the best of the rest? Like they just See, sort of, and it was a toss-up to me because I thought Alabama, Ohio State, USC all had flaws. They all had problems with their resumes that made them not inherently deserving. See, and I, I'd rather say admit that there's almost no way that we can compare teams across conferences. Yeah, it's like one point. or two games. Like there is, we're guessing. I mean, it's educated guesswork, but it's guesswork, and it's really not based on a whole lot. If you're gonna have a playoff with this many teams, and let's throw out, forget every team in Division One, let's just, or F, you know the FBS. Let's just say the Power Five. There are, I think, sixty nine teams, sixty seven teams in the Power Five, depending on Notre Dame. Yep. So let's just you know let's just call it an even seventy. There's seventy teams that have in a twelve game schedule. You cannot sort seventy teams. And if you say okay, win your conference you're in, there's sixteen. You know the six conference champions and two at larges is a reasonable playoff size. I, I mean, it just it is just because there's there's no way you can look me straight in the eye and say I know the ACC champ is better than the Big Ten champ in any particular year. Sure. And I mean, there's some exceptions. There was the year that the ACC champ was like seven and five. But, you know, as a general rule. Right. That's more of an outlier. We just don't know. So take the conference champions and in order to even up the feet. Hell, I would I could say, you know, slap it down at six. But in order to even up the field, make it eight, put in two at large teams and we can all move on with our lives. The problem is, is when we form this field, they made it okay to have at large teams and. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Playoffs expand and they expand by wild card teams, and they already had the method to expand. I mean, that's like asking a fire not to expand when you you know give it a whole bunch of you know logs and oxygen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it <clears throat> excuse me, we're both dying tonight. Yeah, I know. It's a. Uh, I go back and forth. I've never. I wasn't a huge proponent of the playoff. It is fun. Um, expansion is probably the only way, really, to go forward with it. I think, but you, you do inherently water down the field. It, my my problem with the play was always like, okay, was exactly what's happening, which is well, now we, it's the fight over that last seed. Oh well, 
why should they be in and not them? Okay, so let's expand yeah, it to and eight, and then it's like, well, what about nine, ten, eleven? They should have just as legit. It's to me, it's no different. Like, well, I will say the difference is is we're arguing over who gets the fourth spot instead of oh, how are we going to screw Georgia? Because if it was still the BCS, this would be an argument about screwing Georgia over. This is true. And so I think it's a better system just because a team that deserved a title shot is getting one. Um, you can argue that the fourth team doesn't really deserve one, but it's almost impossible to argue that Georgia doesn't. So I'm glad there we have a four-team playoff just for that reason. But also I'd like to see the eight-team playoff because I think it would make conference champions matter again. I think the biggest problem is in the last 15, 20 years, we have devalued conference championships. And that is bad for college football. We want to talk about how much the regular season matters. But the one goal you can truly control when you come into every season is winning your conference. And it I'm not going to say it's meaningless. That's not true. But it doesn't mean as much as it did. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't. Yeah, I think think eight is is the next step. It'll – I'm sure that enough power brokers from Ohio State will right. bitch at them until it happens. And the reason I would like to see it be eight with six conference champions, because I think is that's something that would at least try and give value back to conference championships. Yeah, it does put some some power into that uh, into that accomplishment. But, it, I mean, it is interesting just to think about, like, trying to wade through the rest of it. Yeah, and then I, mean, this year, I feel like it's just always going to be that debate of the last seed. But yeah, of course there is. But you're, you'd much rather be debating on the, you know the eighth team in, you know the second wildcard team instead of oh you know which conf- you know deserving conference champion gets hosed. Yeah, and football's such a different game. It doesn't really compare to basketball, like the NCAA tournament. Okay, you can see an upset, maybe even down to like the Elite Eight, but then it just sort of thins out. Like, no one's ever ridden that wave all the way to a championship, really. The football, yeah, it, it, it can it, happen, you know, like a, a really modest team can all of a sudden get hot and win two, three games, and that's it. That's all they have to do, and they, they win the playoff, you know? I mean, but let's put it in perspective. The NFL has 32 teams. Yeah. And they have 12 teams in their playoffs? Yeah. Yeah. 12. Out of 32. So one in three teams make the playoff. A college football qu- playoff of equivalent size using only power of five teams would be about a 20, you know, about a 24 team bracket. Let's do it. I'm just saying. So <laughs> having an 18 bracket all of a sudden doesn't seem so big, does it? <laughs> yeah. I did like Mike Leach's. I don't, did you see the clip of Mike Leach talking about it? No. What did Mike Leach say? In a very Mike Leach way, he basically explained how every level of football has a playoff except for division one college football yeah he was just like it's stupid basically without saying it's stupid he said it was stupid like he's right about that like he's good at pointing out just what hypocrites we all are on everything so (laughs) but like i'll put like this i'd like to see the field go to eight with six conference champions but that said it's not my pet issue i'm not i'm not hitting my this on the table about it. If it stays at four, it stays at four. Yeah, I mean, and another problem too is, I know Bill Connolly's been all over this, but like, uh, the 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 Central Florida. I kept wanting to say South Florida, but I was like, no, it's not South Florida. The Central Florida case of them being twelve and zero, they dominated almost every team on their schedule. And I know, like, Bill's rankings really 
prop them up, and he really wanted them in. I, he knew it wasn't going to happen, clearly. Yeah. But he, he, we do have a, a committee inherently not going to be invested in putting in someone at large. Like even remember, yeah. like those Boise teams that like. You know, the Boise team that won the Fiesta a couple times and all that stuff. Like, I would say the big thing for Central Florida is they really didn't have a a marquee win. Like, if Houston last year had, you know, sealed the deal, they had a win over Oklahoma. They could have made the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. Their uh, schedule sucked. It was what. just a it, – it was a best. But that said is how is their case that different than Alabama's? Yeah, that's true. You, you played a bad schedule and you beat the brakes off everybody. Uh, that's, I mean, Alabama did play a better schedule than Central Florida, but still, it's the same argument. Yeah, I'm surprised also that no one was going out of their way to talk about how Alabama got screwed by Florida State tanking, because that really was basically the only reason they were a fringe team, I think. I agree with that. Like, Florida State did did screw them, which is more funny than anything. No, I, I was thrilled by it. But <laughs> yeah. I just, I thought that would be a for sure talking point, and it really wasn't brought up much yeah everyone was well Florida State was much better when Alabama beat oh, yeah, them yeah, that, that bullshit I hate that well, yeah like ugh. Well, Troy was much it, better when they beat us too I mean hey, you know, Troy turned out to be one of our <laughs> better games of the season it, it really one, was uh, Troy's one of the better teams we played I, I, I you know, and like I know how Troy put LSU on their billboard. Good for them. That's what they're supposed to do. And I'm, I don't know if I'm supposed to be upset about that. I know it had made the rounds on LSU Twitter, and I was like, all right, well, yeah, they should be proud. They beat a Power Five team. <laughs> like, that's not. I did not go- see that. That's probably like one of their biggest wins ever. Yeah, and that's not really about us. That's still about them. It's like we beat an awesome team. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, we should I, put our I, Auburn win up on the up on the billboard. I mean, we beat the division champ. Yeah, we totally did. We you know, went went through, beat the SEC division champ. But uh, they said I was like, man, I was so nervous about the Alabama and Auburn both in the playoffs. So <laughs> didn't happen. So I'm okay. That was my that was my nightmare scenario. I had a lot of faith in Georgia in a rematch. I didn't, didn't. It's just because, you know, I thought Georgia was the better team, but then again, I thought they might Georgia it up. Yeah. So. I am looking forward to seeing my Georgia pals out here. I'm going, I'm going to try and get tickets oh, yeah. to go to the Rose Bowl. So. Yeah, we'll have to, you know, report back to the group because I'm definitely rooting for Georgia, but I don't know. I have a, well, if you want to do playoff picks here, uh, for me, I just. At the end of the day, I think they're all flawed teams. I don't think there's one truly great team this year. Agree. And and if you have a bunch of very good yet flawed teams, I'm going to take the team with the best player. And Baker Mayfield has that it. And I think Oklahoma's going to win the title. I think Baker Mayfield's going to carry him through, just like uh, Deshaun Watson carried Clemson last year. Hey, I'll double down because Oklahoma was my preseason pick, just like Clemson was my preseason pick last year. Uh and I remember uh, when we recorded our pod, our preseason pod, I said that, you know, the winner of OU and Ohio State early in the season, one of those teams would be probably the best team in the country, and the other team would be a really good team. Yeah. And, you know, the winner would probably end up going to the playoff, and that's what happens. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. They have the best player, and their defense is their sore spot, and I don't see a single team in the playoff that can uh, – I would be more worried if they had a field of teams with really explosive offenses. And like, I agree like last year's Clemson, obviously they have Deshaun, so they're a totally different team. But the, their offense is still really good, but it's not what it was. So it's like – Oh, you can get in a shootout with anybody, and they're going to win a shootout. I mean, yeah, you know, I agree. They're, 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 they're not going to have a shootout. Shoot yeah, exactly. So I just I don't really see anyone slowing down their offense. I guess, but we'll see. I mean, Georgia, you know, Kirby has a good reputation, and they're going to be motivated. So, yeah, you look at Georgia, and they have the possibility of just being able to slow a team down just by being Georgia. Yeah, you know, they've got a good. Run. My OU buddy said, like, if they could get it into, like, a 28-21 game where they're just, like, running the ball all night. And... Yeah, Georgia plays a style that could frustrate Oklahoma. But at the end of the day, it's like Oklahoma played some games that were low scoring for a while, and the fourth quarter happened. Like, you just can't keep them down for 60 minutes. And they're also not – yes, Baker uh, is obviously the, the cog of their offense, but it's not like – it's not like a quarterback to a single wide receiver is sort of what makes their offense go or like quarterback to the running back situation. Like he distributes the ball all over that offense. So Yeah, yeah, they're awesome everywhere. They're really they're, they're diverse just, in the way they attack teams. It's hard to stop that. Yeah, it's disgusting. They're they're, they're really good. So, yeah, I I'm 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 thinking we're looking at a Sooners national title. I'd be happy to be wrong, but who do you want to win? I want Georgia to win. Um, really? I, I, you know, yeah, I guess we're, that's good. We're, we're friends with Georgia guys. Um, Georgia's a non-offensive team. I think inherently, I root against the you know, root against blue bloods and favorites, which kind of rules out Oklahoma and Bama, of course. So it's really between Georgia and Clemson, and I got nothing against Clemson either. So you know, whoever I, Georgia and Clemson play first, right? I'm, or am I miss getting the bracket wrong? Georgia, no, Georgia plays football. It's Georgia, no, you. As long as either Georgia or Clemson makes the finals, I'll be happy because I'll have some of the root for. But an Oklahoma Bama final, ugh, I can't <laughs> even. Uh, yeah, I'll go with the old uh, anyone but Bama team. Yeah, I think that's where. Yeah, I think that's exactly where it'll be. But I live near more Sooners than you do, so. Yeah, like, since I migrated, but I have a ton of Sooner fans, friends, Sooner fan friends. I don't have a ton of Sooner fans. I don't know what that means, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you keep them in the basement, then you know, let them out. <laughs> yeah, everyone's so. Um, LSU has started their off season, basically. I mean, I know there's still a game to play, but the the great coaching changes have begun. It's true. And uh, um, Grimes left the team and was replaced in, I, in like less than four hours. <laughs> in like 30 minutes, it's, it felt like. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, you, it's like, oh, Grimes is no longer on the team. Oh, Craig's has been hired as the uh, uh, replacement offensive line. Yeah, I mean, so. to be clear, he is he's staying with the team through the bowl. But, yes, he's leaving. Which... I'm kind of okay with. I think we talked about this early during the year that I think we were both kind of done with Grind. Yeah, I, I tweeted about it because it, it was right in the middle of the football <laughs> game that everyone was watching, actually. Which um, was outstanding. Yeah. Another win. The, Eps, uh, the uh, Tremont Waters block to end the game was just 
unbelievable. So yeah, and uh, I'm good. I don't know how to say her last name, but Hillary Chinook. Whatever the advocate photographer has a wonderful photo of it, so you should go. Oh, it's already up. Oh, okay, cool. I haven't. That's awesome. Just so. find it on her Twitter. It's great. It's like the perfect shot. I don't know. Shoot, she's in the perfect position. But uh, yeah, I, I I tweeted about it because I feel like Grimes is sort of this conflicting figure. Where first of all, he's really well liked. Like he's a good guy, and he's known for that, which is cool. Like I think you always kind of want your coaches to be good guys, but. Beyond that, it, in terms of what he's actually accomplished, he could recruit really well, but then we had problems keeping talent around. And then it seemed yearly to be that our offensive line would start really slow and then usually round into shape and be pretty good by the end of the season. But it seemed like we kept doing that cycle over and over and over again. Yeah, and, and it also, became frustrating. That's kind of how I was. And also, like, as much as he got credit for a recruiter, he brought in big names a lot of them left campus and then were never heard from again elsewhere. So it's not it's not like guys left us and then went off to USC. They left us and went to, you know, Monroe. Yeah. Well, I, so I don't I don't think he's quite the recruiter that he gets credit for. I don't think he's a terrible recruiter or anything. But I, I the last couple of years I've n- never really been impressed with our offensive line. It's it's not bad, but it gets hyped up as being one of the best in the SEC and I just don't see it. Um, this year the line was terrible for a while. He kind of had a pass for a while and it did round in the shape as the year went on. So I I think we talked about it that I was like, eh, if he goes, he goes. If he stays, he stays was kind of my attitude towards him. Yeah, I think so, that's how most people feel. So I, I'm kind of happy he's moving on because we, we can leave on good terms and everybody can, you know, say nice things about him. Like it's better to leave with people not hating you yet. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think he did some good things at LSU. He wasn't he wasn't a disaster by any means. Just yeah, you know, he's also not like a. He's getting a promotion. He's he's stepping a level down in terms of like tier of the school, but he's getting a job promotion. Um, which is cool for him. I mean, he'll get to call plays yeah. and do all that. So, I mean, good luck to him. I hope that works out. Um, but I really like the hire that we made. Yeah, and once again, speaking of stuff that you called, that was – I mean, you had a very long list of people uh, last year of potential hires. But you had Craig on there. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I just put together a list of everyone that I was worked with, basically – um, it's you know I, it's logical deduction that he would choose among people he knows. But like that being said, Matt Canada's not on that list, and that was his one of his major hires last year. So That's I do true. I do think this is interesting to discuss. Which we still have the Canada is he leaving rumors sort of lingering in the 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 ether, and so you lose your offensive line coach. Usually coordinators get some say in their staff, right? Like, I don't know. It, yeah. I, it, I'm not saying that Canada didn't have a say in this hire, but it's a guy that's directly tied to O. So it's also like the guy, it's like they were planning this move. The yeah. The fact that it happened so quickly. This, mm-hmm. this was not a coincidence uh, that they could announce them so closely together. Nope. Um, look, I, I think. You know, Coach O was being honest when he said if, you know, Canada gets a head coaching job, he's going to take it. But right now, I don't think there's any place out there that wants Canada to be their head coach. Yeah, it's the ULL one that everyone is – the Lafayette job is the one that everyone keeps 
going back to. All right. All right. If he gets it, he gets it. And I think that's kind of where I am on the speculation. I don't, I, he'll either get a head coaching gig or he likely won't and he'll be back. Don't you think somebody like, I don't know who he turns to in terms of getting advice. Um, God, don't you think someone would be like, Matt, that is, stick around LSU, do another, do good work for another year, even if you don't like O, and you're going to get a much better opportunity than that job, which is almost career suicide. Yeah, like, I even think Rice is a better job. Ugh, I don't know about that, but. I don't know, like, because people have done well at Rice, cause just because of the level you're at. Yeah. You, you can, you can have a, a, a decent offense at Rice, you know, you play on. You know, you, you, you can still attract athletes there. You know, you're in Texas. Yeah. Uh, Rice can churn out, you know, eight win seasons against, you know, a really bad schedule. I mean, it's definitely a stepping stone job, but it's not like the death that is like North Texas where like nowhere get, no one's career gets out of there alive. Seth Luttrell doing work there. Though. I know. Like, yeah, but look, he's getting credit for what? Winning like five or six games. Yeah, going to a bowl. Yeah, I mean, like, that's how hard it is there. You win six games and you're considered great. I feel like they did even better than that. Did they? Like, is. Let me look it up. Yeah, like, I. Uh, they were first in their division in the West. All right, well, that's a, that's a first for them. Yeah, nine and four. Yeah, look at that. That is nine and four for North Texas is unheard of. It's like, yeah, I I mean I've been through a few of the iterations that they've tried there. I remember when they hired the Todd Dodge, and I was like Dodgeball, Dodgeball, <laughs> yeah. Dodgeball. Yeah, like is they're on the radio here. Like they're just a it is a death of a of a program. Like it's just where careers go to die. But to bring it back, like, I just don't know why Canada would necessarily want that job. I mean, if he's that unhappy, okay. But, yeah, I mean, I think we're – I think people are just uh, guessing too much. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think there was this – you know, he he called a weird press conference. He answered one question at a press conference. It has not been a campaign since then. And I think it came at a time when we just need stories to write. That is probably true. And the you know, so, off season, the off season rumor mill never sleeps. So people love to churn up bullshit things. And so yeah, I'd like to see Canada with his own quarterback in there. Yeah, yeah. I think that. I mean, I guess if there is a sour note to Grimes leaving, it's that next year's line was finally supposed to be like the experience total package unit without a hole and now the hole is that we don't have a we're replacing our coach nah I don't think that's too big of a deal yeah probably not I mean when you go and hire a coach's experience is the one we got like I don't think there's much to worry about and you know he'll have a whole off season with them like yeah. yeah I don't I don't foresee that being a huge and if they're still with Canada there's not going to be too much of changing and protections yeah it should be the same system right so but that would be interesting too I mean if Canada goes who's next you know who does he call I don't know yeah we'll, we'll burn that bridge when we get there it's just yeah. it's it's a thing that it was not ready to 
get into until we have to. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But maybe the bigger departure today was Austin Thomas is leaving. For yeah. Went back to Tennessee and... And he was a, um, I think it was John Battle tweeted out today that he was the reason that he came to LSU. Yeah, he kind of has that rep. He's, I don't want to say a shadowy figure, but he operates more, he doesn't get a lot of uh, a press or anything, really, because he's just, he's a administrative figure, or supposed to be, but he did, he recruited a lot with a waiver because of Pete Jenkins. And he was a really good recruiter and a successful recruiter. So, I mean, he got Jacoby Stevens, who I know had a somewhat disappointing freshman season, and he got Jacob Phillips from Tennessee. Yeah. So, I mean, he can, you know, it's impressive. He can go out and get guys. And my general take on it is, like, we're probably not going to get someone as good as him. So I don't know, I'm curious which what the response is. Do we try to hire someone in a similar role, or do we just – Break up the funds and try to like go take the all you know more resources devoted to the cause kind of thing. I don't know. I think you replace him in the fact that Pete Jenkins is off the staff and that becomes the recruiting position. Yeah, we're gonna have to get you know a defensive line coach who can recruit, and then yeah, you'll still have a guy in the Austin Thomas position, but I think that recruiting coordinator is going to be. I don't know. I guess it would be more of an administrative post than a recruiting post. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you bring up Jenkins. So this corresponds with news today, too. So we lose Grimes. We very quickly announce a replacement. Jenkins is gone. We announced a replacement for Jenkins, which is just sliding Dennis Johnson down to the defensive line coach. Cool. I'm all for it. Dennis Johnson is probably one of our best recruiters, has a really good reputation right now. And he's young, like up-and-coming coach. Um, yeah, but that still leaves a hole in the coaching staff. So we're technically down an assistant right now, and then the you know the the waiver period is supposed to end. So we'll get the tenth assistant, which everyone is expecting to be Greg McMahon, who's an analyst right now, but a special teams to be our special teams coordinator. So it's it's interesting to see what who will fill that final spot. He hasn't hired anyone yet, and. I guess I'm just acknowledging the fact that like he went really fast with this hire and the other one he's just letting simmer for one reason or another. Yeah, because I think that's the one that completes the staff. You know you're going to get an offensive line guy. Yeah. Like, like there's not no question that you're going to have an offensive line coach. So Yeah, and, and I guess this I, other I think, position could be a little more nebulous because it's like Johnson's now the defensive line coach. You give all the linebackers to Aranda. Maybe you hire a quarterback coach or maybe you – I don't know. Right. I think that's the thing is that they're leaving. We don't know what our 10th coach is going to be. Mm-hmm. So it's more, I think it's more of a, we're leaving our options open. Yeah. Reassess at the end and really figure out what our needs are, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. You know, just get through signing day. Both of them. <laughs> oh boy. Are you ready for the, uh, I, so one thing I just did not consider at all is that we do pretty – I'd say we do pretty robust signing day coverage on our site. And yeah. 
it's a big thing for me. Like each February, I take the day off, and I usually have a couple radio interviews, and I'm all over the blog, and usually up late the night before, just tracking stuff. Mostly, because I love it. I think it's fun. Um, and now they put all that shit in Christmas week. Like I. I'm gonna be with my family. Like, uh, yeah, you got Christmas to do. I totally agree. Yeah, and people, just and people are a week or something. I don't know. Yeah, people aren't you know reading the site. They're hanging out with their family. Yeah, that's real. And if you are reading, if you are reading the site, guys, spend time with your family. It's Christmas for the love of God. It's true. <laughs> if you don't have a family, then I don't know. Write us a message and we'll figure something out. Yeah, we'll, we'll hang out. Like, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I, I just didn't dawn on me that that's when it was falling until the like this week, and I was like, "Oh shit, it's going to be like yeah. family time," and I'm going to have to be tracking what some dumbass eighteen year old kid has decided to do with his future. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious what happens signing day. Just overall, uh, I. I have a real hunch that this is one of those reforms that is going to be a Pandora's box and is going to end up hurting kids rather than help them. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to think at this point. I mean, my initial inclination is if you don't sign early, you're probably going to lose your offer. But I, that I don't know. I also don't know. I mean... I think yeah, it would only like, apply to like really like those fringe kids. It, it changes a lot for the people on the fringe to me. Yeah, and those are the kids who need the protection. I mean, look, a five star, he's going to have his offers no matter what. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. Like, it, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not concerned about the kid. He already had leverage. Yeah, LSU isn't telling Patrick Sertain that they're going to pass on him because he's not signing during the early period. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. I'm more worried about like three star kids that get forced to make a decision early. And yeah. maybe maybe earlier than they want to because they kind of want to see how things shake out, and now they can't do that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and coaches too, seeing how things shake out because usually around this time is when you start seeing some more offers go out because it's like, okay, you know, we really wanted this four star from Texas, but he's clearly going to A and M, so we need another guy at that position. So let's look at this kid. You know, like that sort of starts happening and. Yeah, yeah, and also looking at it from the you know the kids' point of view, like the three stars saying, okay, I can either be the twenty fifth guy in LSU's class, or I can be like the number five guy in you know, Memphis, you know, or you know, and or I can be the number one guy in Tulane's class, or I can be the number ten guy for Ole Miss. And you you start like moving yourself down the line. Okay, which level do I really want to play at? Like, do I want do I need to be the man kind of mm-hmm. thing? And normally you can you can make a more informed decision, or maybe you can kind of say, "Oh, I can't go to LSU, but I can still, you know, I can still go to Auburn because they, had, you know, some things shook out there. You know, I'll take the offer. You know, I'll take my three star talents over there because it's a better fit. But you you can't do that now because LSU and Auburn don't know their classes until the second signing day. At which point you no longer have an offer. You've got to commit now. Yeah. I, I think it's not going to go well for the people that this rule was intended to help. I'm curious to see. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I like the, so the situation I see right now for LSU is like there's this kid in Missouri, uh, Mario Goodrich, that we just turned the heat up on, 
He's a defensive back. He's like a top 100 player. Like, this is a really good player. And um, we haven't really been recruiting him that much. Uh, but now all of a sudden we jumped on him. He's named us his leader. But he's probably third on our board in terms of, like, corners. There's Anthony Cook in Houston that we really want. But that's down to basically us in Texas. And then there's Sertain, of course, which everyone thinks we get him. But then there's this weird sort of mystery hangover. Like, if his dad gets offered a D1 job, that that's clearly a, an issue. Like, he might follow his dad. Yeah. Um, and so now we're turning up the heat on this Goodrich kid. And it's, like, total it, – it's smart. I, I get why they're doing it. It's they're It's protecting themselves. They're giving themselves options. But – it's just interesting to see how that sort of thing will shake out with the early period because he's not going to sign in the early period. He's not even going to visit until like January or something. So, um, that, that that sort of strategy is interesting to me. So yeah, like, and this is the first year we do it, so we'll see how. But it was mean that that article that was on SB Nation where they said that pretty much every school has the same strategy: just get everybody in the barn that you can. Yeah, but I mean, to keep on the Goodrich thing. The end game is that there's a three-star, Ardarius Washington, from Shreveport, and he's kind of been flirting with TCU. If he's legitimately undecided by the early period, I guarantee he's not going to have a spot at LSU. Like, he's – it's gone. Yeah. Because yeah. now they have this Goodrich kid saying he wants in, and I I just don't see any way they have Ardarius Washington higher on their board than that guy. Like Right, right. And that's – That's yeah, going to be interesting. Yeah, and also the people who sign will be – I mean, they're in the barn. They'll be committed. Yeah. Like it, won't, it won't be like before where it's like, oh, well, these guys have these verbals. And I don't know. It changes the game a bit. So we'll see what happens. But I, I am approaching this one not in the, uh, what's best for LSU but a what's best for the actual players. Yeah. I know radical, radical concept, but – I don't care about the players. They're just – Yeah, uh, I, I know. We don't. stock to me. Cattle. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they run a four three, I don't care. <laughs> and now, also, guys are going for their draft grades right now. So, and I don't, I don't know where they got these numbers from, but the Advocate, I think it was, I think it was Delhi's piece where they listed Darius Geis as a second or third round pick. Woof! If Darius Geis is a second or third round pick, he, he actually could make a pretty good case that he should stay. Yeah, I saw like somebody's big board today had him at like twenty fourth, and I thought that was kind of insulting. Yeah, I'm kind of like you can actually improve your draft stock. You can, you can actually then make because so far the argument for him to come back is entirely emotional. Hey, you're having a good time in college. Yeah, come back because it's fun. It is like, weird that they like they didn't talk like this about Leonard. Like it is weird. Like oh, is talking about it, and Geis is like doing this whole oh, I'm thinking about it. You know. Feels yeah, like uh, well, look, Fred was out there for you know senior day. Like there was no, <laughs> <laughs> we did not get around. Um, but I don't know, like Geis, like he's, I think emotionally he wants to come back, and it's just it's how big of a financial hit he's going to take, which I totally understand. And the entire time, I'm like, dude, you just got to go. That was the first time I read something. I was like, dude, it actually could make financial. You're not, you might not be taking much of a hit if you're if you go in the second round. Man, can you imagine him coming back after being told he was going to be a second rounder? Oh my god, he already runs angry. Yeah, like also anyone who would. This is kind of becoming my thing on NFL running backs. I think it's the for a while it was never take them in the first round. 
because yeah. running backs are offensible good. And then I know the Cowboys are just a bizarre organization, but they took Zeke in the first round. But honestly, I do think that line of thinking is correct because you get a running back for cheap. That's awesome. If you get a first round talent running back, you run him into the ground for five years and then you don't resign him, and you just then get another first round running back. I think that actually might be the better use of resources from the NFL team standpoint. Clearly, the New England Patriots think so. And if you're modeling success, I mean, who else do you want to model after? Well, the Patriots have always just taken a third or fourth rounder. They're like, whatever, we'll just put some guy back there. But I'm talking like you're seeing teams draft like if you look at who's the best running backs in the NFL, they tend to be first or second year guys. Yeah. Guys on their first contract, at least. For sure. So if I'm an NFL team, I would consider drafting running backs in the first round because I get massive production really quick, and then I don't have to worry about their decline years because once they come up for renewal, I just let them go. That's a, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I misunderstood your point. Yeah, let someone else you know take the, you know take their star years. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Then they would go to the Patriots and be like their third running back. Exactly. That, yeah, <laughs> and so every and so the symbi- <laughs> the symbiosis works out. Yeah, it's an issue. Yeah, I mean, I always like the uh, zig when people are zagging strategy. I mean, I think that's that's just how my mind operates. I guess. I, I'm I'm with that too. Like that's kind of my I, I look at when everybody says this is the way to do something. I'm old enough to know that there is no one way. And if everybody thinks there is a way, they're wrong. So yeah, I guess find another way. <laughs> this is a couple years old now, but on, the, on Gladwell's podcast, he had a statistician guy come in that's basically empirically proven that it's a better use of your resources if you're an NFL franchise to just trade your first-round pick for more picks every year and just basically collect resources. Um, and that... You will get more return on investment. That's how he was judging it. You, you, yeah. You'll get better ROI if you just pick like a bunch of second and third round picks rather than one really good first round pick. So I guess, I don't know. It's an interesting, but no one does it anyway. I mean, the Patriots kind of do it, but they don't even really well, commit to it. The one team that did it just got addicted. The Browns did it, and they got addicted to the strategy where they had all these assets, and then you eventually have to cash them in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's like the Astros this year. Like, they tanked on purpose. I fucking hate it, honestly. But uh, anyways, they did it on purpose. They stockpiled their assets, yeah. and this was the payoff. They went in, invested in what, the missing pieces so that they could cash in on their assets. Yeah. I, I And look, the Tigers tried the same thing before them, and they fell just short. Yep. So, I mean, it's – the thing is, like – Everyone says to do that's the best strategy in the NBA. Tanking has not worked in the NBA. No. I mean, if you think about it, the teams, I mean, yeah, you need a star player, which requires a high draft pick. But most of the time, they came by their sucking, honestly. <laughs> like, it wasn't an actual tank. Yeah, it's not like the Cavs decided to tank to get LeBron. Like, they were just... They were just a bad franchise. (laughs) And honestly, and that didn't work. He had to leave and then come back. You know, they had to build a foundation without him. And if you look at the champions around the NBA recently, like everybody, you have to have a foundation when you add your superstar. Like, you know, the Warriors didn't tank. You know, that was just, they just lucked. What you really need is you need to luck into having a late first round or a second round pick turn out to be, you know, 
a top ten player. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to the wave of every Warriors executive getting hired to new positions and failing. Yeah, because I think they got exactly. really lucky. <laughs> like, yeah, I th- and also the ad- the strategy of shooting a, a ton works when you have two of the five best shooters of all time on your yeah. roster and another guy who might be a top 10 guy. I, I mean, like it's kind of uniquely suited to their roster, which I think is the better strategy to say, okay, what, what do we do? Well, it's like, okay, we shoot the ball. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like it's going out of style. Okay. Well, let's just do that. And that's what I think is the good strategy. Yeah, absolutely. But I think other teams are trying to emulate that and say, Oh, well, the Warriors won by shooting a ton, so we're going to shoot a ton too, and we're going to win the title. That's kind of the rocket strategy, and I don't think it's going to work. I agree. See, we're we're hitting all the sports tonight. You know, <laughs> but if guys comes back, it's a to tie it back to LSU. I mean, yeah, it's it's that would the, be. I'm not overly concerned about the running back position, just because I fall in line with the. It's generally a spot you can get production out of from a massive body. So if we have to roll with the four or five guys we have, I think we'll. It won't be like amazing, but we'll have solid production. I, I tend to be a guy that if they're a first round pick, I'm just hey go with, you know go with our blessings. I, I don't want to see a guy ruin his career to come back. No kind of thing. And like I know like. Ohio State kind of set me on edge when I felt they kind of lied to the guys to get them back in the barn right before they went on probation. Um, I, I think there's kind of some misleading of players of giving them bad advice. You're only, you only care about the school, not the player. That said, Geis is the first guy, and I don't think he is coming back. I think at the end of the day he goes to the NFL. But he's the Same. first he's the first first-round level pick where I thought, you know what, he might come back. Like there's a, ch- I actually feel there's a chance, and it's more from the emotional standpoint of it. I just think there's, and I don't know. I just think he really just likes college football. Yeah, you know, he he enjoys this at a level that I don't think most players do. Yeah, I think so. I think it's fair. And so he's he's the one guy that I'm like, I'm kind of I'm I'm being stupid and rooting for him to come back because normally I'm just like the guy's gone. So like what? Like Arden Key, he's gone. He's going pro. That's that's fine. You know, Dante Jackson's going pro. That's I've got no illusions. See, I feel like Arden Key has a weird case, too, because he just wasn't the same player this year. I mean, Seth was tweeting about that today and he wasn't, but he's still gone. That was a guy who's never. Yeah, I mean, I think he is gone. I'm just saying, I objectively, I think there is a case to be made that he. I mean, if if the what he hears back is you're going to be a top ten pick, then yes, go. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I feel like he might get back. You're a second round pick. We're worried about the suspension or dis, whatever it was. It was never called a suspension, but he left the program. I think if he gets word that he's a second round pick, he should come back. That said, yeah. I don't. That's what I, I don't think. That's what happen. I don't think that'll happen because I think pass rushers are just so valuable in the NFL. Yeah, and someone will look at last year, not this past season, but the season before his tape, and be like, "Oh my god!" Like we got Lawrence Taylor. And at the end of the day, it's a pass rusher. It's just it's they. Can, it's like crack to an NFL GM. 
God, what's going to happen is he's going to go and he's going to fall because people are going to have character concerns. Then, like, the Patriots are going to take him and he's just going to be, like, fucking incredible for them. No, I mean, I think, like, if he gets to, like, the 15th or 20th pick, some, you know, franchise that thinks of itself as, like, being a renegade program, like, the Ravens would, you know. Or Cincinnati. They always take guys they don't care about. Though, you know, they did good for me when they took uh, – what's his face from Auburn last year? Um, I couldn't believe fell. Carl Lawson? Yeah, like I, yeah. I don't understand. Like I couldn't understand why Carl Lawson was following because he didn't even have character concerns. Um, but no, like a team like Cincinnati actually is a good example. The, the Bengals, the Ravens, they, they tend to pride themselves on taking, you know, uh, character risks and making them work. Yep. For sure, the Ra- the Raiders are the Raiders. So I think those are teams that wouldn't care. Yeah, you're probably. Right. I mean, they would care, but at the end of the day, it's a pass rusher. You know, you don't. That's outside of quarterback. That's the position in the NFL. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's probably maybe even more valued right now. Yeah, so I I think he might fall out of the top ten. But I don't think he's falling out of the top twenty. I hope not. I mean, I hope for his sake he he goes high, gets his money. So now the guy who uh, yeah, I think he's going to go, but I think it'll be a mistake is Tolliver. So, but we've covered that. I just and I don't want to make it sound like I'm picking on the guy. But you know, in relation to that, someone on the blog this week, I think it was Mike DeTiger. I don't remember exactly, was saying like. Man, it would be nice if we could just like return our two corners. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, I feel like every year we have this same debate of like, uh, like who's going to be the second corner? Even this year, people were like, I don't know. Like Dante yeah. he didn't really impress me that much. Like he might be uh, iffy. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And then it's like every year it doesn't matter. Like we always seem to some guy steps up, and it's like, I mean, that's partially great recruiting. That's what happens when you recruit a billion four and five star guys. Is one of them's about yeah. to work out, you know? Exactly. That's kind of how I feel about it. It's like, oh, I'm not too concerned. Yeah. So, I'm like, I mean, I guess it's the arrogance, but I guess I'll, I won't be worried until it bites me. Yeah. And I, I would like to have a rotation next year of Greedy and Tolliver. That'd be nice. Yeah. But I'll take Greedy and Sertain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, uh, God, I already, I've already for Kristen Fulton was a five star we signed like one signing <laughs> class ago. You know, it's, it's yeah. stupid. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be fine. So even though I think Tolliver should come back, it's not like we're in deep trouble if he doesn't. We, exactly. We can we can withstand the hit. Absolutely. As you know, as long as Devin White comes back. <laughs> He's drafted uh, eligible. Don't worry about it. He's yeah, drafted eligible. You it's can't true. go. <laughs> is this the last pot of the year? Are we going to do one more? I don't know. It'll be Christmas season. It's. I don't want to commit to it, but I could, it, it, I could do early next week. Oh uh, well, we'll. F- I don't know what you got though. Um, I'll be around. Okay. Well, we won't. We won't say for sure, but I'm just thinking: Do we need to do? Any type of bowl preview? Do we? We don't really. Do we do previews? Yeah. I guess we kind of do previews. We kind of do. Um, yeah, if we do another one, we'll do a bowl preview. Otherwise, we're just say, hey, we're playing a bowl game. Like, whatever. Yeah, we'll catch you after the game. 
you know, bowl games are kind of random. Yeah, that's. I think that's another to go full circle here. If we're, we started with the bowl, let's end with the bowl. I guess is that even though my my expectations are kind of tempered, I think it's tempering my emotions too. To where like if we lose. I'll just be like, well, Notre Dame was really good this year. So, like, I, I'm not – I don't really feel that bad about it, I guess. Well, and also just, like, bowl games are just weird. You know, you have a one-month layoff. Uh-huh. You never you never know what team's motivation is going to be. It's – show me a team that wins their bowl game, and I'll show you an overrated team in next year's poll. Yeah, yeah. I think I wrote something about that in our roundtable. Like, oh, it would be a good building block for next year. And then I immediately was like, I don't even believe that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's just – it's whatever. I mean, I want to win it to get to ten. You know, get to ten wins. Yeah, it'd be nice to have the tenth win, but it's not. Uh, I'm not obsessed about this one. It's just, it's. I'm going to sit in front of the TV. I have a buddy who went to Notre Dame. We'll probably get together. You know, we'll watch the game in the morning. We'll have our kids play in the backyard, and that'll be that. It also kick off at like 10 a.m. for me, so that'll be fun. Yeah, because I know it's early for us too, and I'm just like, ugh, ugh. So. I, I do think yeah, get, the getting to ten is a big thing, and I spe- probably for O. Like I bet O would like to get ten, just for yeah, resume building, you know, stability sake. To be like, I won ten games my first year. Kind of. Yeah, it's why I think we're going to win because I think it matters more to us than it does to them. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think Notre Dame has a whole lot on the line in this one. No, probably not. Though they almost did fire their coach last year. Yeah, but I think the players still hate his guts. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he saved his job, so he doesn't need this win to, you know, get his job back. Yep. So if I'm making a pick, I would say it's LSU just based on emotion. But it's a ball game. You know, don't don't ever bet on a ball game. So I should take back that. $300 bet I put down? Yeah, probably. Like, it just when any... The only ones I would even consider betting on is the, uh, the the playoffs. And even then, the layoff. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, it just... It's... Teams come out rusty. They come out, you know... People get I mean, arrested. Only, like, Georgia's had, like, three kids arrested since the SEC championship. Yeah, I think the only thing I would look for in a bowl game is if, if like, one team, you could tell they were imploding. You'd be like, oh, wow, like everything is going awful. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I should probably do something. <laughs> like, I could take advantage of this. But most likely it's just staying out of the way. And I love bowl season. I like that it's meaningless. When I when I say it's meaningless, people think that means I'm insulting bowls. No, that's why they're great. Yeah. They're exhibition games. You know, that's like, why I don't – I don't understand why – I don't get – Okay, I understand that these bowls, some of them have historic ties and they like to honor that and all that bullshit, but it's like put together two teams that never play each other and people will flock to that. Like, yeah, I think everyone like, wants to watch that. Everyone wants to see that. The SEC is stuck in too many matchups with the Big Ten. Yeah. And let's face it, the Big Ten doesn't move my needle a whole lot. Just, I think the real problem is that the Pac-12 has been so bad about um, negotiating its bowl tie-ins. Yeah, that's really the issue. Is that the Pac-12 doesn't get to – and th- that's kind of who I want to play because we never play the Pac-12. Um, 
the SEC ACC should play more, but you have the problem of that you get the rematch of rivalry games yep. that they're trying to avoid. Like, you know, if you get, you know, South Carolina Clemson or Kentucky Louisville, you, you know, Florida, Florida State, you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. They should just make it like a fucking stock market. And after they pick the, play- the playoff teams, just throw all the teams out there, and if your bowl wants them, you make bids. I would love that. I mean, that'd, that'd be, be awesome, a- and it would be inti- it would be entertaining television, honestly. Yeah, if like uh, they had a system of you know how you got the bid, like there'd be tiers on bowls, so like who gets a good matchup, and you know, yeah. Once again, yeah. sneaky good podcast solving the world's problems. That's actually like that'd be a good thing if you like if you tiered each bowl, like you'd say like. Put each bowl in a group of five. Just throw it out there. Yeah. And then say, okay, ha, you know, then you have just have a, a whatchamacallit, just have a draft. You know, you, you flip a coin, whoever, you know, whoever wins, you, know, you get the draft order and just go one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, and then go to the next batch. So you're trying to get good matchups, but that way you still can preserve the best bowls, get the best teams for sure so yeah that would actually be pretty you know because you know the first teams are going to take would be guys that have like you know draw you know players that are you know or even coaches like there just has to be a better way than like well we're the outback bowl so we get the big 10 number three which actually this year is the big 10 number five because the other two went to the you know i'm like i hate that shit and it's always the Big Ten number five because the Big Ten's always going to have two teams in the New York Six. So, uh, uh, uh. so yeah, like we're even lying to you. Like when we say Big Ten number three, we mean five. We always mean five. <sighs> it's just terrible. Yeah. And yeah, and you end up kind of with like these repeating matchups. Um, not so much with Notre Dame. Like this is just weird. Like that just happened. Yeah, but like, like the Iowa thing, like that happened twice, really close. You're kind of like, yeah. but that makes sense because we're going to play Big Ten teams a lot. Um, South Carolina always ends up playing Michigan for some reason. Like that's, that's like that's just kind of their, you know, their lot in life. And yeah, yeah, well, that's what was fun about like playing Texas Tech. We never played Texas Tech, or when we did play them, A and M. That was before they joined the conference. It was like, yeah, let's let's go play A and M. Yeah, that was fun. It's yeah, for our, L- our win streak. For LSU, it's good to play a Big 12 team. I mean, all those Texas schools. We'll play any of them. <laughs> I would have liked to play Texas. Too bad they didn't have a better season and couldn't get That's into right. a better bowl. That's right. They, they couldn't get in. <laughs> I do think Texas had a better year than you think kind of thing. They kind of had a year that Notre Dame had last year. I'm not sure what Notre Dame's record was last year. I think they went 4-8. Uh, um, let me look it up. Looks like it was 4-8. It looks like it was 4-8. But uh, Notre Dame lost a lot of close games. They were much better than their record showed. Yeah. Which is why they, why they had a bounce back year this year. Texas kind of had that year. They were 6-6, six and six, but they lost a lot of close games. A couple games in overtime. Like, they're they're kind of due for a bounce back. You're not going to stop me from trolling Tom, though. Oh no, no, it's it's fun as hell. Like, th- please don't stop. That's still funny, and I'm all about funny. But if we're actually saying like how 
what shape is their program in, it's actually in better shape than six and six would lead you to believe. Yeah, I think so too. But I do agree with you on the fact that I think Tom Herman might have the problem of he can get his team up for big games and can't keep them focused for the little, the little shit. That's at least what his resume said, but that's not something he can't correct. I mean, but that's a big problem going forward. If you can't, you know, cause if you're Texas, they're almost all little games or that's at least true. it should be. Yeah. I don't know how they lost to tech. Yeah. That's just, that's the, that's the battle. Like Maryland. Okay. Early season shit happens, but yeah. And, and tech, it was like, they had already secured the, the ball. Like, so they didn't have anything to play for. Like they, they were in. Yeah. If they go, if they go into that game five and six, they probably win it. Yeah, that's true. But they were six and five. They already knew they had their bowl. Seven and five doesn't help you. So they just kind of waltzed in there, and oh, God, it was beautiful. All right. But you know, hey, we lose to Arkansas a lot, so like. <laughs> Damn it. Why'd you bring that up? This was ending on a happy note. It was ending on a happy note. I'm sorry about that. So, yeah, we can edit out that part. Forget I said anything about any other team in the SEC. Um, we always end up, we always finish up strong. And we did this year. And that was a really encouraging thing. Um, I'm still high on how, how well this team recovered. For sure. I think that speaks very highly to Coach O's abilities. Yeah, and I think long term, judging by today's news, like th- these are the types of decisions that will determine whether or not he has a successful tenure. I agree. Like it's it's not just your initial staff; it's what happens when you start losing people. And it looks like he can get quality people right back in. So, yeah, I'm I'm feeling good about everything. And LSU basketball even won. So yeah, LSU basketball won. They look great. I mean, you know. We'll we'll worry about the tournament later. Like I still think this is an NIT team, but NIT would be a huge improvement. It would, yeah. And also, it's just it's it's fun to watch them. Like it's not a chore, and that's the the best thing about them. For sure. Because for a while, like we would have emails that would go out amongst the, the staff of like, okay, who has to watch the game tonight to write the post game? Like it was that unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> we all took our turns. Yeah. And, but this year it's kind of like, Hey, you know, we have every game covered. Everybody wants to watch it. Everybody wants to do it. All right. I got nothing else. Yeah, neither do I. So, yeah, we, we end on a whimper, so. 